0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Twisted Tales. Just a quick little uh, short and sweet segment of uh, some serial killers, missing people, murders, all that fun stuff. So, just gonna give this to you best I can, and, um, you know, thanks for listening, subscribing, whatever. I appreciate you. Take care.
1: In a world that has been completely divided for so long. Two movie fans have decided to unite for the people and the betterment of mankind. One, an action movie buff. The other, a horror movie fanatic. Together, They will try to bridge the gap of both genres into one podcast with their battle cry Give Me Back My Action and Horror Movies. Listen along as Charlie and Nate alternate each week talking about action and horror movies they cherish, mostly from the VHS era. Also, including some modern examples that felt like the movies they grew up with by answering the battle cry Give Me Back My Action and Horror Movies. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram.
0: I'm a sea king, a CGI thing. I'm here to eat and
1: bear my teeth and shake a tail fin. A bikini babe catching a road wave. A big surprise, I'm gonna rise and flash my toothpaste.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bucket of Chum, the Shark Movie Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Steve Coates, and we are in week three of Retro November. And this week, I checked out Shark from 1969, directed by Samuel Fuller. I am want to start this one off just by reading off the plot synopsis right off of IMDb. A gunrunner loses his cargo near a small coastal Sudanese town, so he's stuck there. When a woman hires him to raid a sunken ship in the shark-infested waters, he sees a chance to compensate for his losses. He's not the only one. And just like last week's movie, this week's movie has a tragic piece of trivia attached. Stuntman Jose Marco was killed on camera when a great white shark bit through a protective net and attacked him. Samuel Fuller had clashed with the producers on a variety of issues, and when the production company used Marco's death to help promote the film, he quit. When Fuller saw the version that was released to theaters he said it had been butchered so badly that it was no longer recognizable to him. But wait! Turns out this whole fucking thing was a hoax. So some researchers looked into this, and Life Magazine, the ones who originally published this story, said it was in fact a hoax, although they themselves believed it to be real at the time. So they created, like, a whole fucking death around this movie to use it as, like, a promotional tool. So they had an article in Life Magazine about it, and basically every poster for this movie has like the Life Magazine logo fucking attached to it. Now the true part about this is Samuel Fuller, the director, really did want his name removed from the film after the producers recut it, but they absolutely refused to take his name off it, so they left it on there. I think it's fine to acknowledge the tragedy that happens in a movie, but don't use it to promote. But again, it's a hoax, so I guess it doesn't really matter. But at the same time, if this was real and they did, in fact, do that, that'd be kind of gross. But so, yeah, I just don't like the poster for this one. I don't like the marketing campaign for it. Um, I just feel like it's kind of in bad taste personally. It is what it is, and it's in the fucking past. There's nothing I can do to change it. That's enough trivia for now. There's nothing else left to do, but let's dive in. We open with someone scuba diving, following some fish, and trying to get their flashlight to work. They come across a shipwreck and start exploring. We see a shark swimming around the outside of the boat. The diver starts swimming away and is being followed by the shark. The shark attacks the diver and blood fills the water. And so, yeah, this is 1969. So all of these uh, effects are practical. So they're actually using real sharks. Most of the shots that we see in this movie are either super up close or really far away. So there's not really a whole lot of tension in the scenes that there are sharks in, which, unfortunately, there's not really a lot. Spoilers! Although I will say, it does have more underwater photography than uh, the shark fighters did. So, I at least appreciated that. Although I do feel like they kind of just reused a lot of the same shots. I don't think they really shot that much, but I'm not 100% sure. Now we see some blonde woman paying her respects to the diver's mother. His name was Mohammed, and she gives her some money saying she warned him to never dive alone. And the mother looks disgusted as she counts the money. And then this lady goes to leave the tent that they're in, and she's blocked by a few guys, and she pushes them out of her way and leaves. She runs into a man on the street, and he asks her what they're going to do about a replacement for Muhammad, and he says they need someone who needs them as much as they need each other, kind of thing. And that's when we see our leading man, Burt Reynolds, driving a truck. He comes to a traffic stop, and a bunch of police start looking into the cargo in his truck. So this takes place in the Sudan, I guess. So I wasn't sure if these were just police officers or soldiers like at a border or something. But yeah, my best guess is that they're police officers. They open the crate and it's filled with shovels as Kane watches nervously. The police finish and they send him off and then they stop him again. And then they go back into the truck and search the crate again. They take all the shovels out and underneath them are guns and dynamite. He drives off and they pursue him. He lights some dynamite with his uh, lit cigar and throws it out the window, losing the police. But as he's driving, he hits some rocks, which knocks his brakes out, and he ditches out of the truck before it goes off a cliff and goes, boom. And then we just see him stumbling around the desert as credits start to play. And then we get a message saying, This film is dedicated to the fearless stuntmen who repeatedly risk their lives against attacks in shark-infested waters during the filming of this picture. So, so far, all three of these movies have either had text or narration um, dedicating it to, like, the people involved in the movie or the people that the movie was actually based off of, which I just, I guess, goes to show that that's a very old-school thing because we don't typically see that a whole lot anymore. Kane waves a passing truck down, and he hops in the back. The truck drives into a town, and the driver wakes up Kane, And there's some man in the shadows and he lights a cigarette. We later find out this is a police officer named uh, Burroughs or something like that. The driver gets Kane's groggy ass out of the truck and takes him into a hotel. And then he wakes up this fat ass who's in bed. Well, okay, he's on like a mattress with two women. And he goes and meets Kane and gives him a room for the night. And the driver shows him to his room. Kane says goodnight to Yosef, the driver, and he passes the fuck out. He wakes up the next morning and Yosef has brought him some hard-boiled eggs and makes him hold his mirror while he fucking shaves. Like, only Burt Reynolds' fucking character could get away with doing something like this. Like, he just hands him the mirror and is like, yeah, just hold it while I fucking shave. And then they have some dumb conversation about how old this um, shaving blade is and Burt Reynolds asks, like, Yosef how long it's been in the family. uh, It's just a dumb conversation. There are a lot of dumb conversations in this movie, I will say that. After he's done, Bert or Kane is met by a policeman named Burrow and he asks for Kane's passport and he gives it to him. And then he asks what he's doing there. And Kane says he hitchhiked. And Burrow says it's dangerous, especially with all the gun runners. Oh, little does he know Kane is a gun runner himself. Ooh. Kane lists off all the stuff that was stolen, but not really from his truck. So he's trying to play it off like he was attacked by. Uh, mercenaries or or something, but Burroughs doesn't really seem to believe him, and he kind of just brushes it off. Kane walks down to a dock, and he's showing off his watch like he's trying to bargain for a boat ride or something, and then he goes through town, and he continues to look for a ride out of town, and he's asking everybody, like, oh yeah, I'll give you my watch, you can drive me, blah blah blah, and this whole time, some kid is following him and smoking a fucking cigarette, and he's like eight years old. Like, he he can't be any more than 10 years old, I swear to God. And he's just following a fucking Burt Reynolds around smoking a cigarette. Kane goes down to the beach, and he finds a shitty boat, and he tries it out, but it doesn't really float and basically just sinks, and the kid starts fucking laughing at him from afar. Kane goes through a food market, and as he tries to barter with someone with his watch, the kid snatches the watch and runs off. Kane chases the kid down, and the kid pulls a knife on him, but Kane just kicks it out of his hand. And then he gets his watch back because, yeah, like he's fucking eight years old. I, I know he has a knife, but I mean, at the end of the day, like you just fucking boot them and you're done. I'm not fucking scared of an eight year old. I don't even care if an eight year old has a gun. I still kick his ass. And then after they like tassel each other for a bit, he then gives the kid advice on how to steal a watch from someone while they're wearing it. And then the kid asks for help, like finding... No, he asks the kid to help uh, help him find a ride out of town. Back at the hotel, Kane is harassed by some drunk guy who's, who's like a doctor or something, and says he probably can't leave town until Burroughs lets him. And then he accuses the man of being the reason Burroughs found him or something. He's basically saying this drunk guy turned Burroughs onto him, which I don't think is entirely true. I'm pretty sure Burroughs was watching him the whole time, so I'm not sure where Kane got this idea from. Later on, the two of them are drinking and Kane is asking him about some boat in the harbor and it's owned by uh, the guy from earlier whose assistant died. So this feels like a plot to get their assistant for their whole they need us more than we need them sort of thing. And then the drunk guy tells Kane the assistant was killed by a shark. And then we see the blonde woman from earlier talking to the captain, or I guess he's uh, they call him the professor. And he says he doesn't trust Kane, And she says he hasn't even met him yet. And he says some shit about Americans. All right, fair enough. And that he's probably just some college boy looking for adventure. Like, oh, so very wrong, my friend. But she finally convinces him to talk with him and then tells him he's being talked to by the drunk so basically getting him primed so she's getting him to think he's uh, gonna do everything he can to get this job but he's basically already got it so it's just one big setup a rather complicated setup now that I'm saying it out loud and thinking about it way too fucking complicated I can't fucking talk Jesus Christ. Kane is sitting at some rocks on the beach and then this blonde woman comes and sits beside him and they get all flirty and they introduce each other. Her name is Anna, I think, and she gives him a smoke and he asks to take her out for a drink. Why is this happening? Like she doesn't need to be romancing him. He already wants the job like she was already getting him primed for this. I'm so fucking confused. They're at a bar or restaurant drinking, and he finally manages to sell this watch and get some drinks for it as well. And then as the little kid watches them still, he starts to steal this giant fucking record player, and the bartender goes to stop him, and the kid steals the watch out of his pocket and runs off. So I guess he did learn a thing or two from Kane about stealing watches and shit. Nothing like teaching children how to pickpocket. They are the future, after all. Later on, they're slow dancing and bullshitting back and forth. Uh, Kane and the blonde, not him and the kid. That'd be so fucking weird. And they're on the dance floor, and they ask each other questions, and he then asks about her old man and how he's short-handed and he's willing to replace the one who died. She asks him if he can handle a winch, and he's like, Honey, I was delivered by one. Fucking what? I, I can't even begin to unpack that. I have no idea what that even means. Like, oh, you had... Your poor mother, oh my god, Jesus. Now they're on a boat called Anna, so named after this blonde woman, and the kid is watching from shore, smoking a cigarette still. Kane drives the boat as Anna gives him cigarettes and googly eyes, then the captain watches and he seems pretty disapproving. The boat stops and drops anchor, and uh, Dallaire, the professor or captain, is in scuba gear, and they've got some clear tank they're lowering into the water. Kane asks questions about sharks in the area and the kid who died and then asks the professor if he really thinks he's going to solve the world's hunger problem. I must have fucking missed something here because I have no idea what's happening. I guess the lie that this professor is telling everybody is that he's there to create a, a more sustainable food source with fish, I guess. I guess that's what he's telling everybody. They don't really dive too much into that, which is why I was confused. Kane asks if there are sharks down there and why wouldn't he carry a gun? And the professor, as I'll call him now, says if he hits a shark and draws blood, it'll just attract more sharks. He's not wrong. It's actually kind of true. Oh, we fucking saw that last week in the shark fighters when uh, fucking what's his name? The commander staves shoots a shark in the water. Then all the sharks go after that one. And then Kane asks him what his favorite food is. And the professor says it isn't fish. I can't stand the taste. And then just jumps into the water. Did the fucking Polonia brothers write this movie? What is happening right now? Kane asks Anna if they've sailed to different places, and it intercuts with the professor diving below the shipwreck, and we see a shark circling around the outside. Inside the shipwreck, the professor is trying to cut into something, like, I don't know if it's just a room or a safe, or, I think it's just a, a room, but it's like sealed off. And he stops cutting when he hears Kane revving the boat engines. The professor cuts himself, leaving the shipwreck, and we see blood coming from his shoulder, and a shark starts pursuing him. He manages to get back on board the boat before anything happens, and Anna calls him dad, which I realized she did earlier, but I didn't think of it. But I don't think they're father and daughter. Like, I'm pretty sure that's just kind of a ploy that they're doing. Again, not entirely sure what the fuck is happening in this movie. And now it's nighttime, and Anna creeps out of her room and closes the professor's door, and then her and Kane go and lie on the beach, and she confesses to Kane that the professor is not her dad, but he's like a father to her, and she was, like, the only one she ever knew, but then she ended up falling in love with him, which is super fucking weird. I love you, Daddy. Ugh, gross. He says some quip to her, she slaps him, and then kisses him, and we wonder how we created a generation of abusers and misogynists. Huh, what a mystery. The kid goes to the hotel and looks for Kane, but he gets kicked out. And then the drunk tells him that Kane's out looking for the kid. The drunk guy, who is also a doctor, goes and patches up the professor as the kid goes and finds Kane. And he finds him, and he asks for a friend's boat. And then the kid says, I go with you. And he's, basic- he's basically fucking short round from Indiana Jones, this kid. I- I'm not sure who's more annoying, but... I don't know, someone else could be the judge of that. So yeah, Kane asks the kid like, "Yeah, I need a boat, so they get a boat and then we go back with the professor and Anna, and he asks her what happened the other day with the boat, and she said Kane was trying to leave, which isn't true, so I, I don't trust this bitch one fucking bit. Kane was revving the edges because he was just saying like, "Oh, I'm just checking them. He didn't say that he was trying to leave, so she's basically just playing everybody, it feels like. But she says not to worry about him. And then the professor says he's a gun runner and that. So this is where I got confused because I think he said the name Barack or Burroughs or Baroque or something. This is the this is the cop. Okay, I'm just going to call him fucking cop, dude. Okay, so cop dude is trying to get the proof and that maybe they should get rid of Kane because they know he's a gun runner now. But Anna says, no, they shouldn't, because if anything goes wrong, they might need him basically as a scapegoat. And when they finish with him, he's expendable. So they'll just fucking kill him. Later that night, we see Kane and the kid on a tiny little sailboat and they go to the Anna. Kane manages to open up a window and he sends the kid inside and then he uses him to like pass scuba gear through the window. They get back on the little tiny sailboat. They sail off and Kane gets all geared up and then he dives down while the kid waits on the boat. Kane finds the shipwreck down below. And then after a while, the kid starts calling Kane's name and then just dives into the water. We see Kane below swimming and he sees a shark, so he gets to the boat and gets in and then he notices the kid is missing and then he sees the kid floating out and so he swims back out and then swims the dumbass kid back to the boat. I have no idea what the fuck this kid was thinking or why he was even doing this. It like there was no reason for it. He's just like, well, he's not here, I'm going in the water now. <sighs> Idiots, idiots, idiots. Later at the hotel, Kane is asking the drunk doctor what the shipwreck was carrying, but drunky just keeps talking in fucking circles. We see the professor sleeping, and he wakes up, and Kane is standing in the doorway, and the professor tells him to go back to bed, and Kane tells him he went on the the shipwreck tonight, and then the professor's like, "Well, you're fired," and Kane says, "You can't fire me. We're partners." And then the professor is like, "There's nothing out there but old munitions," and. And then he says, like, you can have all of it. And Kane says, no, I just want half. I just want my half. Because they're going to do everything together. And he puts his arm around Anna. And then the professor punches him. And they start to brawl. Kane basically takes them both down. He even punches Anna in the back of the fucking head. To be fair, she was trying to hit him with a vase. So it wasn't just for no reason. Kane leaves the room. Anna asks the professor, what is he going to do now? And he says, discourage him. Like, if you were planning on, go- like, killing him already... Now is probably the time. Now would be the time to do it. And then we got to Fatso, the hotel owner, getting a massage because that's really what I wanted more of in this movie. The professor calls him a big, fat, stinky whale and just like tears him apart and then asks for friends. And Fatso asks, how many can he afford? So he just like started tearing this guy apart, making fun of his weight and then says like, "Okay, I want to hire a bunch of guys from you again. I have no idea why half of the conversations in this movie happen. No fucking idea. Again, sometimes it feels like I'm literally watching a Polonia Brothers movie. It's insane. Back with Kane, he's walking, and then he comes across the kids sleeping on the ground outside, and then he invites them back to the hotel. Not in a creepy way, just like so the kid's not fucking sleeping outside. I hope, anyways. As they head back, every direction they go in, they come across some goons that the professor hired, and Kane kicks their asses one by one until one of them throws the kid down the fucking stairs, and then they start brawling in the food market. Kane knocks the guy out, and then he brings the kid back to the bar, and he tells Fatso to go get the doctor, and Fatso says, no, not me. And then we go upstairs, and we see the doctor is having some sort of mental fucking breakdown, and he's just throwing shit across the room. Kane brings his ass downstairs and feeds him some whiskey, like, just to normalize him a bit. So I don't know if he was, like, going through withdrawals or something, but giving him more booze, like, balanced him out, which is insane, but it worked. And then a bit later, we see the doctor working on this kid as he continues to fucking drink, which normally is, like, the last thing you want to see a doctor doing is drinking when they're performing on you. Everyone in the bar watches on as the doctor works, And the professor and Anna are there now too, and Kane walks over to the professor and says, if that boy dies, you've caught your last fish. Later, we see Anna and Kane sitting on the beach and smoking, and she asks the boy's name, and Kane says he never asked. Later on, we see police dude, and he spots Kane, Anna, and the professor walking, and he calls the professor over to talk, and they talk about Kane, and then the officer says in one hour he'll be deported because he has a massive criminal record. The professor says he's only bothered by his departure because of how important his work is to him. And the officer says, just replace him. And the professor says he needs like 24 hours and the officer agrees to this. The drunk checks on the kid and the kid's doing good. And the drunk asks the kid for a favor and he just wants a big bottle of booze of some sort. And the kid says, no. And the drunk gets mad and says like, it was a delicate operation. And the kid yells, he just wants a Havana cigar. And the drunk is in, like, total disbelief of this. And he says, like, you're too young to smoke. And the kid says, you're too old to drink. Again, why is this happening? Why is this kid smoking? Why? Insane. In-fucking-sane. And then we're on the boat, the Anna, and we see Kane and the professor dive down to the wreck. They start cutting into that room or whatever it is. And then they finally get in. They find a metal chest inside and open it up. And they take forever to do this because whatever tool they're using, it's not they're either not using it properly or it's the slowest fucking torch mankind has ever made, which is probably why it took them months to even get into this boat in the first place. So, yeah, when I say they open the chest, they opened the chest after like five fucking minutes of trying to get into it. And when they do get into it, it's filled with gold. They start loading up a metal basket with the gold bars and carry it out of the wreck to some chains and hook it up to the boat to be brought up. We see a shark starting to swim around. They head back for another load and come back with more gold and they do this a few more times. And we see more footage of sharks swimming around. As Kane and the professor load the basket, some fish heads and other pieces start falling on them and the sharks start swimming closer. The sharks start attacking and they start like stabbing back with knives, but it doesn't look like there's any on-screen shark deaths as far as I could tell. Anyways, Um, everything looked like it was just special effects from from what I could tell. Anyways, the professor is eaten by a shark in what I think is actually the same footage as the first assistant dying. So this is what I mean when like they were reusing a lot of footage. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure, but I'm pretty sure it's just the same footage that's just been reused. Cain gets back on the boat, he sees Anna, and he says, you rotten bitch, and he slaps her across the face, and she falls to the deck, and she is fucking out. We see there's half-cut fish all over the deck of this boat, and as Cain is loading up some of the gold bars, the cop comes up behind him and asks how his gold feels, and then gives us exposition on how he pretty much played everybody because he was the first to know about the gold. So, this policeman has been the mastermind behind this whole thing this entire time. For reasons. He tells Kane to go down into the engine room because he has a job for him down there. Oh, I wonder what it is. He tells Kane to open the valve and the boat will sink after a few hours and two witnesses will be taken care of. So, I guess he's just planning on killing them and then having the boat sink. That's his big plan, I guess. They go back up top and Kane is gathering gold for the cop when he hits him with the chains and knocks him to the shark-infested waters and he's instantly attacked. Anna wakes up and Kane apologizes for hitting her. He goes to get the boat ready and he turns around and she's holding a gun on him and tells him not to touch the gold and to go get in the police boat and to throw her the key. She thro- So he gets on the police boat, she throws him some cigarettes and matches, and he asks why she doesn't just shoot him and she says she likes him. And he says, they could be partners but she says he'd disappear with all the gold tomorrow morning, and he says she thinks that the gold will bring her right to the top, and she's like, you're damn right. She says good luck to Kane, and just starts driving off into the sunset, and it just fucking ends. We just roll credits after that. So, we can all agree Anna sank, right? Because that valve was never turned off. So, like, Anna is fucking dead. Especially with all that gold, I feel like it's gonna sink the boat a lot faster. The only... Reason I see this movie having three stars on Letterboxd is because of Burt Reynolds. I'd say this is more like a one, one and a half stars. Like I appreciate the underwater photography and all that, but at the end of the day, they just reused a lot of the same shots. The sharks didn't feel all that dangerous, and we like were really not a big part of the movie. Like the movie was called Shark, and they didn't really play that big of a role in the movie. I mean, it was okay, but it was also a lot of nonsense and I don't really ever see myself rewatching this for fun in the future, at least not anytime soon. So yeah, I'm sinking this one to the bottom of the ocean and it can fucking stay there. I also feel like I've seen this story done in similar ways too and also probably better. Um, I think there was one with Peter Benchley. I, I can't, I know I talked about the movie at one point, but yeah, I think there was like a similar plot to this. Just the whole like criminals getting people to dive down to sunken treasure sort of thing. I mean, I'm sure this was one of the first adaptations of that sort of story, but again, I've seen it done better. When I started this like retro journey, I was like, I wonder why Jaws was what got people scared and interested in shark movies. But after seeing these so far, I'm like, oh, yeah, because real sharks aren't as scary as Jaws makes them out to be. And these movies just like don't show the sharks all that much. So it's uh, hard to get a good feel from them in these environments. So, yeah, I kind of I kind of understand it now. I think I get it. So yeah, final verdict. That's just gonna be I'll give it one and a half stars. That's about that's about as generous as I can be with this movie. So that's gonna be it for me this week, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, you can find me on all the social medias at Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Slasher, all at Bucket of Chum Podcast. And you can go to of Chum Podcast.com and check out patreon.com forward slash bucket of chum. There's all kinds of cool stuff going on over there, and you can just help support the podcast. But I will see you guys next week for an all-new episode of Buck and the Chum.
0: Good evening. You're listening to the Truth Tank podcast trailer. Today, the truth has become harder to discern. Fake news, censoring of facts, media censorship, ideology over logic. The truth has become subjective. That old saying, there are two kinds of truth, rings true today. What is fact and what is fiction? You can take the blue pill and go about your day, or you can take the red pill and take a deep dive into the world of conspiracies, history's mysteries. The Hidden and the Forbidden Past, Current and Global Events, UFOs, Aliens and the UAV Phenomenon, The World of the Paranormal and High Strangeness, as well as the ongoing war on pop culture and society, with the occasional movie review thrown in for good measure. If this has piqued your curiosity and you want to find out how all this ties together, join me, The Tank, every month for a deep and detailed dive into the hidden and murky world of the truth. You can find and follow The Truth Tank on Facebook and Instagram. You can listen and download the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. May the truth be with you. Tinfoil hat not included.
3: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Quad Pro Quo. Right now, you are probably thinking to yourself, oh, great, another movie podcast. Well, dear listener, you would be right. But throw in a couple of marriages, decades-long friendships, and a shared property line, and you have just another movie podcast with a shitload of drama. Inspired by the iconic quid pro quo scene in Silence of the Lambs, each week, one of us will pick a movie. It could be a childhood favorite, a classic film noir, an Academy Award winner, or a complete dumpster fire that brings joy to that person's heart. The selector's objective? To get us to love, or at the very least, not hate their pick. Will our marriages, our friendships, and our neighborhood survive? Find out each Thursday on Quad Pro Quo.